attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Paul Keishan. The Keishan name goes way back at Camp Ojibwa, which you'll hear all about during the interview. Paul was gracious enough to have me to his home, and we sat down, had a great conversation. He's a really interesting man, and I'm happy I had the opportunity to finally meet him after hearing the name for so many years. Before we get to that, a little housekeeping. First of all, the Camp Ojibwe Walk of Fame is back. That's right, the bricks are back. You may have seen the posting on our Facebook page. After the initial bricks were put in, they look fantastic, and we discovered... They're going to look fantastic if we make room for a few more. So, if you did not get a brick the first time around and you'd like to get one, they are available now. Go to the website, campojibwahistory.org, click on Walk of Fame, and get your brick now. Get them soon. Get them fast. If you've seen the ones that are there, you know they're awesome, so you're going to want to get in on this project. Secondly, happy 4th of July. It's a big day at Camp Ojibwe on the 4th of July. Of course, tomorrow morning we have the Warrior Run to start things off. After that, it's going to be foot-long hot dogs. It's going to be circus day, cotton candy, pie-eating contest, the Ojibwe Ambassadors with their first performance. I'll be DJing music all day long. And to close off the night, showing an outdoor movie. It's going to be great. Okay, enough of that. Here we go. Paul Keishan on the Camp Ojibwe. History Podcast. First and foremost, for the record, state your name and your years at camp. My name is Paul Keishan. I started camp in 1945 through 56. I can almost recite the cabins I was in. I did, however, uh, I was sent to camp in 1941, which my parents both denied that they would ever send me at five years of age. And just this morning, as Chris came over, I went to look at some photographs and actually found a photograph of me sitting on a step of a cabin in 1941. The reason I didn't make it in 41 was that I had never gotten dressed in front of anybody before, and when they took me to the hospital to do the medical check, I wouldn't get undressed, and I broke all the equipment in the hospital, and Al Schwartz called my dad up and said, I'm sending this young man back. My brother, who was nine years my senior, was at camp, got on the train with, with me and took me back to Chicago. My brother never returned, and then I returned the start of wonderful life and experience in 1945. Nice. 
Now, the Keisha name uh, has been a part of camp since the very beginning. Can you flesh that out a little bit for the listeners who don't know who how the connections go? Al Schwartz and my dad, as I understand it, went to Jewish training school together as youngsters, which must put them at around the 10 to 12 to 14 year age. Mm. They became lifelong friends. Um, I never remember them socializing during the year, and I'm not sure that they were able to go out much because when Al was running the camp, uh, he wasn't out. But sure. Through some friendships, that's when uh, my dad must have donated some funds to build Cabin 13, and there's a plaque on 13. I'm not sure the 13 is still there. The it certainly is. is. Mm-hmm. We've expanded the, the cabin a little bit, but the cabin and the plaque are still there, yeah. Um, making it larger, because that, at the mm-hmm. time, I think it had 26 campers. Yeah, at the time, it was huge relative, to, I mean, for the amount of spaces it could occupy, because cabins were going like 12, 14 kids per cabin. But now, with uh, bunk beds in the smaller cabins... Those have basically doubled. So yeah, now you needed. Wait, they're, you mean double? They're not mm-hmm. just single beds in each of the cabins? That is correct. So now we do about 20 kids per cabin in the smaller ones. So when you take that 13, 13 mixes the two groups together who have been in separate cabins all the way into one age group. So we've had as many as 40 kids in cabin 13. Well, when we were young and we were probably young junior counselors, we used to take the price of, of what each camper was charged times the, the number of campers to figure out how how the gross profit was operating. And now <laughs> you're telling me we're double? Oh, my gosh, that should be. Are there same investors in the camp? Uh, they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how old is Denny? Uh, Denny is 76 this year. He'll be 76 this summer. So anyway, getting back <laughs> to, to my dad's uh, relation with Al, mm-hmm. um, growing up I really never paid attention, as you do as a youngster, you who your dad is, what he did, or anything. Um, but then one year, uh, the totem pole appeared. Again, evidently a gift from my dad. I'm assuming that totem pole probably is rotted and they've replaced it. Uh, hmm. The original totem pole that was at the, at the campsite in the woods was from dad. Okay. I, that's interesting. I don't know that I've seen that totem pole. Is, is there a totem there, pole? There is one there now. Uh, there was one done... After Al, after Al Schwartz died, the next year, um, one of the families had a carving done, and, and it's out there now. Right. Well, but obviously, that, that one as many years couldn't be. Right. Hmm. I mean, what I remember vividly every night, we look forward to Cabin 2 all in, and all in, boys, good night, boys. We loved it, and it was outstanding. And, um, Collegiate Week was the highlight. Uh, the track meets, the swim meets. First of all, you know, I, I see all these young kids today wanting to grow up and be adults. You know? mm. Only like you, you know, uh, growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. You certainly have taken that, but Absolutely. I think it's a great philosophy. <laughs> um, but these kids want to rush to be adults, and the best time of their lives are, are their experiences at camp. Yeah. And friendships, I mean, really date back. I still keep, probably about a year ago, I was, I was because we, our permanent home is Cody, Wyoming. Mm. We vote in Cody. We, our licenses is there. Uh, there are no Democrats on the ballot in, the, in Wyoming. <laughs> uh, my wife happens to be a, a Democratic election judge, which we all laugh about. <laughs> uh, but when we did go back to Chicago probably about a year ago, I was sitting in Gibson's waiting to meet people for lunch. And I had this flashback. Geez, I haven't talked to Larry Schwartz or, or uh, Dick 
Dick Seffrin, who we called Clancy, um, Jerry uh, Edelstein, those were our guys. And yeah. I don't know, I, some of them may have known about your, your project here for Ojibwa. Um, I also, we were reading in the paper, and somehow we saw that a young man by the name of Brian Bat. Sure. Opened a restaurant in downtown Highland Park, and I said to Bonnie, I said, "He's got to be a grandson of S Sam Bat because the Bat Restaurant on Roosevelt Road in the '60s was the corned beef place to go. It was right near McCormick mm. Place." So when we were in Highland Park, I made a point to go into the restaurant, introduce myself to Brian Bat. He was there with a friend. He's the one, I think, that told me, don't you know about the project that you... Ah. So that's how I got connected. Okay, that's excellent. Yeah, Brian still comes to post camp, really? so we see him from time to time. Um, that was another revenue maker for the shorts. I mean, that. <laughs> well, let's talk about camp a little bit in your time. So in your time, uh, you still go up by train. Absolutely, the whole by time. train. Mm -hmm. Not sure how long it took, but then we got into the transportation business and we became the exclusive ground motor carrier to take up all of the camps. Primarily, we took up uh, Agawak and, and uh, Camp Ramah. I remember Camp Ramah coming over to play baseball. Hmm. And we were playing baseball, but they kept talking Hebrew and we couldn't understand <laughs> what they said. I nice. assume that's still going on. Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, Camp Ramah is still there, and they're still very so sort of orthodox. It's it, almost. <laughs> I'm saying this because he looks like a rabbi. <laughs> My payas are coming in very yeah, nicely. Yeah. Yes, the the Kishin buses would later be ensconced forever in fame in the lyrics of the classic "It Never Rains at Sunny Camp Ojibwa," <laughs> which was a takeoff of "It Never Rains in Southern California," rewritten by one of our campers. And uh, I believe the opening line was "Got on board a northbound Kishin." 507 or 407 or something, it's, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I used to treasure looking for the pictures that we take after we drop the campers off under that big Ojibwa sign at the entrance, and mm. we take a, a whole picture of all those. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't even know if I can find them, but the experience going to camp uh, was just exciting. I still get lit up and excited to, to talk about it. Uh, I, I, I I think I became a great fan of Nat King Cole because right on that 45 record, on that photograph, every night I'd listen and I could hear it drop down. You know, you're young, you don't even know what a 45, well, you right, might sure. know, but most young people have no right. idea what a 45 Yeah. What's the camp day look like in those days? What is your typical camp day that Probably you remember? not that different. At, at 7 o'clock would be Reveille. We, we get up, I, rem I remember going down to the to the beach, all the kids with their towels, and some of these sneaky girls from the, the different camps would be in canoes out on the waterfront, <laughs> and I would do the exercise back and forth, and of course the kids' towels dropped. Sure, of course. Um, <laughs> and, and then, of course, the, the dip or shower was a mm. famous thing. Now, were you a dip guy or a shower guy? Um, that really goes back far. I don't remember. I now remember only being in the shower house taking the kids who decided on showers, and I'd say, what is your name? And as soon as their name and their mouth opened, they had a bar of soap in there. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that process still in, in effect? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, especially the, the nudity portion of it, I think, is what was the death knell for Dipper Shower. Uh, it stopped being so naked, I think, in the 80s, but... 
eventually they realized that maybe this wasn't the right so, way to. So what's your book is becoming Playboy magazine. Well, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, the new Playboy, as right, it were. Right, that's mm-hmm. what I say. Yeah, so Dipper Shower has, uh, although Dipper Shower held on tightly, it, it was on until the early 90s, and there's even been talk of bringing it back. Now it would be a much different version, I think. It would be swimsuits on and everything uh, to start the day, but there's talk of bringing it back to sort of get everything going in the morning again. Because nowadays we have Reveille and we just go right to breakfast. And so. Oh, no, we'd have, we'd have the Reveille, we'd go down to the beach, we'd do the Dipper Shower, and we'd come get dressed probably try to make the cabin up before we had to line up. Then we'd line up in the 12 or 13 rows and each cabin would be called in. Um, I guess one of the things I remember um, being a counselor or a junior counselor is at night we would go back in the kitchen in the back and nobody had better Cleary's milk than the cold Cleary's milk that Katie kept in the refrigerator. Mm. We would just storm in there all the time. Hope you've got history on Katie. Certainly, her name has come up many, many times, and she came with the property. Right, right. I didn't know in your uh, developing stories. I started reading. I didn't know that Al was a carpet salesman, hmm. and how he came up to the camp and how he bought it from the family that owned it. Yeah, that the stories. Uh, Mickey really filled in a lot of the gaps there. Um, and I don't know to what extent he was a carpet salesman, like how long that went on before right. camp became what he was. Because it sounds like he was pretty interested in starting a camp pretty early on. And he had even done a couple of years working at other camps to sort of learn the process. Um, and then the first two years of camp were pretty, although he was busy with it, it was it was relatively small. Did Mickey say the age that Al started at camp? Because I don't, I have no idea. Uh, well, he, Al was born in 1900. So he would have been working in camps in his mid-20s. And um, he also, uh, Mickey mentioned that he had maybe worked, I guess, at like maybe YMCA day camps or something like that in the city. Some sort of day camps to is where he first got the bug. Um, and that may have been in his teens. It's interesting. Mickey was a powerful influence when I was a, a counselor at camp because I had applied to Notre Dame and Miami of Ohio and I was accepted at both, but I also was accepted in Illinois, and Mickey, the entire summer prior to me getting into the university, worked on me. Not only did he work on me, he, he taught Phi Up, and I I was pre-pledged as a Phi Up before I even went down to Champaign mm-hmm. and helped form our own our own pledge class, which we still keep in touch with. We have wow. a pledge class of 16, but Mickey was the influencing factor that got me to Illinois. Hmm. How is it, so you do you are you at camp before Mickey's at camp or is he, does he no, come in while you're there or he was already there when you started? Mickey, I think must be a year older than I. I bet Mickey is eight years old. Mm-hmm. I think that's I'm exactly right. I think he just celebrated his 80th. Right. And okay. According to the pictures that I saw you posted, beautiful family and grandchildren are gorgeous. Absolutely. A very gorgeous girl. So. Yes, she uh, she gets a little bit of, of buzz amongst the older fellows who were around in her heyday, or her still heyday. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and we always look forward to, to Parents Weekend because we got to date the the sisters or the campers or counselors mm. that were coming up. Of course, and I was fixed up with a girl and liked her all summer, 
and not until we broke up at the end of the summer did I find out she was a nymphomaniac, but I didn't know what a nymphomaniac was. So, <laughs> so I won't mention names, but sure. I'm sure that name is relevant in, in this story of Camp <laughs> That's amazing. Well, talk to that. Talk about that a little bit. So, what was it like going out in those days? What, where did you go? What kind of, what'd you get into? I, we didn't get into a lot. I mean, we were really a naive group, or at least maybe I was. I was born and raised in River Forest, Illinois, which is just the other side of Oak Park. Mm-hmm. And if we thought we were being neat guys from high school, we would go out in a car and go up and down the avenue, thinking we're going to pick up all these good-looking girls. And of course, when we found four girls. We opened the door, but we had milkshakes in our hands, and we asked them where they wanted to go, and we took them where they wanted to go, and then dropped them off. So, <laughs> up in Ojibwa, mm. I mean, I was going out, I, I dated the uh, the mayor's daughter, okay. Sandy, I dated the uh, coach's daughter, who really was a beautiful girl, and several years back, I hooked up with her where I found her in Sheboygan. Mm. And she had her, her mom still lived in Eagle River. And one day I went over to pick her up, and this older woman answered, and I said, "Can I? Is your daughter home?" Well, it happened to be a woman, <laughs> and she has not thought to be since. I see. <laughs> um, but we also used to always go to the Tuesday night town dances where they close the oh. streets. Those were outstanding, and I. I would hope that you found some people that talked about Tuesday night. No, this is the first I've heard of that. Oh, every Tuesday night they blocked the streets off, and and the the high school girls would break up with their high school sweethearts because the counselors came up from Chicago, and we didn't have a real good reputation because they never looked, and that's how I ended up meeting the mayor's daughter, Sandy Burns, I think, and and the coach's daughter, and had a great time, and. I still have a real dear friend that lives in Eagle River now by the name of Kenny Shields. And if you remember, there was a, uh, a woodwork up there. When you go out of town, there's a totem pole and an old-fashioned little... Oh, thing. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. Kenny, Kenny Shields on that property. There was a museum in there. Okay. And he now operates well down the, the road. But he cuts huge trees and makes tables magnificent mahogany. And he, I'll show you, I'll show you some pictures before you leave. Hmm. Um, but he and I became good friends. Um, and he, on Fourth of July, would take the big stumps on a big flatbed in, in the middle of town. They'd have you know big holiday on Fourth of July, and he'd do the, the, the hand saws cutting a hunk of wood into a bear. Huh. I'm sure if you're up there in July, go up there July 4th, you'll see Kenny on a flatbed trailer. Wow. He wears a, a, a motorcycle uh, do-rag, and he's as tough as, as nails. Uh, he hmm. visited us in Cody, but it's, I love the town. Of course, we used to go to Zimbleman's all the time, and sure. now Zimbleman's is a fudge candy place. Right. But Mr. Zimbleman, and I had never seen a man with, with a hump in the back, and I don't know what medically that's called. Hmm. But they had the greatest grilled cheese maker and, and soda fountain, and of course that was a hangout. We'd always sit and, and have sodas and meet the town girls. Hmm. And of course, Eagle Waters was the probably the mainstay, certainly when he became a junior counselor and counselor. Right now, Eagle Waters is still around. I, it's not as so much a piece of uh, no, it's not camps. Maury holds no. His son-in-law took over for it, but when I used to get in. 
big fights with my dad, and my my dad had a home right across from camp in the bay on Catfish Lake. Mm -hmm. And in fact, on Wisconsin maps, that little bay is written as Keishan Bay. Mm. Uh, but I think they spell it K-E-S-H-I-N, they forgot the double E. Mm. And one morning, early, my dad came up and looked out the window, and there was a boat with some fishermen in the bay. And he really got upset because that was his bay. And who were these people to fish in his bay? Probably <laughs> um, right next to Faye's Dinky Diner. You remember? Sure. Faye's is still there. All right. Faye became a good friend of ours. We always, every time we go to Eagle River, as far as last year, even when she sold it, and Faye just lost her husband about four months ago. Mm. And we keep in touch with her on Facebook. We write her. Um, and she wanted to buy that other diner just as you come through Eagle River. Um, it's always busy. Um, Donna's out on the other end? Yes. That Donna's was up for sale. Hmm. Um, and next to Faye's Dinky Diner is an antique shop. Yes. It, it's owned by the son of a wonderful woman. Her name is Tony. Okay. Tony's got a very interesting story. Um, you're too young, but you might inquire. There was a boathouse on 70, right under the bridge, called Dwyer's Boathouse. Now there's a boathouse. When you go through the channel and over the bridge in 70, mm -hmm. to the right was a boathouse. Okay. My dad, in the 50s, bought a Chris Crash. But he didn't buy it from Dwyer, who owned Dwyer's Boathouse. So one morning... He decided he'd take his Chris Craft and drive on the lake and go over to Dwyer's and fuel up. And Dwyer said to my dad, you didn't buy the boat for me, so I'm not going to sell you the gas station. My dad had the only uh, common carrier freight line from Chicago to the Northwoods. Mm. So he called his terminal manager in Chicago and said, for every outboard engine consigned to Dwyer boat, Eagle River, I want you to ship it to Buffalo. So Dwyer never got an outboard engine the entire summer. <laughs> to, follow that, to follow that up, he then gave someone money and opened up a competitive boat right across the channel on the other side of Dwyer's. Wow. And then he put his own fuel tank on the property for his own fuel. Which ultimately, over the years, in I think in '79, my dad gave the property away. Now I have, I have an older brother, nine years older. I had a sister, 13 years older, but neither one loved Eagle River like I did. I came mm. up there every summer, even even after I left camp. However, I could get get up there. Um, he gave the property away to Rush Press Hospital in '79. I was a, a, a little aghast at that, and I turned to my dad, and he said, where the hell are you going to get that money? It costs $50,000 a year to maintain that property. Hmm. And you should feel pretty god darn proud that the name Keishan will become connected with the discovery of all medical ills to mankind because the Rush Press Hospital is taking it over. He envisioned all of the doctors coming up with seminars, the nurses, hmm. doctors from all over the world. Sure. In reality, and he also stipulated the property couldn't be sold for 10 years. The hospital must maintain it and keep it and use it as an operating medical think tank. Hmm. Well, it didn't operate. Dad died in uh, 
1983, at age 81. It wasn't a medical thing. thing. The doctors took up their girlfriends. The nurses took up their boyfriends. Sure. And at the end of 10 years, uh, a young man who was president of Rush Hospital by the name of Leo Hanikov, who I happened to go to school with in Illinois, called me and said, would you like to buy your dad's property back? Well, I thought, how can I? That doesn't even make any sense, and I've got a lot of happy memories, but certainly I can't do that and let it go. Well, evidently, a land developer was looking at the land, and it was 10 acres on pristine lake frontage. And right. Lake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a land developer was going to buy it, but the old caretaker who had been working for my dad, who was well in his 80s, got uh, my name of Mac, evidently was retained by the hospital, but they hired a young guy by the name of Scott, who was in his 20s, to take care because of all the acreage, all the white fencing. And the, mm, sure, of course. And the guy came into this garage where Mac was sitting because he'd always have his whiskey and still answer patient think tank or whatever. <laughs> um, happened to say that there was an oil leak in one of the wells. So environmentally, Wisconsin is, is one of the worst. So the developer took off. The hospital called me back and said, would you like to buy the property? We'll reduce the price. I immediately bought the property, put it in the trust for both my son, Brett, and my younger son, Neil. Mm and got it back. Um, but the hospital then was saddled with the cleanup. Oh, wow. So they had to spend an additional $50,000, and they had big, huge hoses with uh, motors on the, on the shore built with a cabin over it, and for two years had to recycle the water in the lake to finally clean it out. Wow. The reason I'm citing this story is I'm going back to Faye Pinky Diner hmm. and the antique shop next door, so when you go in this summer... It's run by a marvelous woman, Tony, but her son owns it. Okay. And Tony happens to be the daughter of Dwyer Boathouse. Hmm. Which is really a small world because yeah. she remembers when her dad and my dad were talking and they'd come up to the shoreline, my dad would always reach in and give this little girl, Tony, who was now probably 75 years old. Hmm. But it's a must. She's got one. I mean, I found glasses in there when I was a kid in the 40s that I, I, I took a, I think I haven't been here. You can't find them. Hmm. Uh, but that's next to Dinky Diner. Anyway, that's, that's so between Zimpleman's, uh, the Tuesday uh, Town Dance, and, 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 and uh, the campsite of, uh, oh, why am I forgetting this? Oh, where we go on Saturday night? Oh, the Eagle Waters. Eagle Waters. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get in a fight one time with my dad, and I took off, and I ran to my Uncle Maury. I, I kind of adopted him. And Louis, or Maury Hosen called my dad up, and my dad, being a trucker, was referred to as a teamster. Hmm. And, and in his Jewish accent, called, started to say, you son of a bitch and teamster, how you're not treating your son right. And that would go back and forth. But I, I was very fond of him. He was a wonderful guy, and I'm sure... Hmm. People in your stories might even know him better than I did, but yeah. I'm very close to him. Nice. Um, and uh, I think there's still a restaurant, and they probably mm-hmm. sold cabins now. Uh, not, not only, I mean, 
I mean, I think they still do pretty. Uh, the pond hockey business really is big for them because they host. There's a huge pond hockey tournaments up there now in February, I think January, February, and they'll get 600 teams that come in, and that's the prime spot. They actually that's where a lot of the the ponds. That's where they do a lot of the games. Is there at Eagle Waters? So they're sort of the hub for all that. So Eagle, I know they do. Lake was a rough lake when we left mm. Catfish Lake and then went through the channel around. We got now the golf course that was right there. Have you taken the boat through the channel under? I have not. But you can't be a oh, Jim, all those years you have not <laughs> have to get off the field. <laughs> I try to stay away from the lake as much as possible. But, but there's a country club on one side mm-hmm. and a hotel, the Chamberlain on that. Chanticleer, maybe. Chanticleer. Mm-hmm. And a great place for dinner, and, they, and they're always busy. And if you go through there uh, on all the weekends, the Chanticleer and the Country Club tie up boats, and they're having uh, uh, all kinds of bands and drinking and mm. partying and hamburgers. Hmm. Get off Catfish Lake and go visit. Okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Collegiate Week was another great I was going to say, let's talk about Collegiate Week. So that's one thing that sticks out for everyone. Well, the only thing I remember that I guess in, in a bragging way, I was first picked in Collegiate Week, whatever year that was, which must have meant that I at least was able to catch a baseball or swim. I can't I would One or the other, certainly. Now, but my highlights was first pick in Collegiate Week, Chief of the Ojibwe Braves, um, Abraham Lincoln and whatever theater program that was. <laughs> I certainly didn't have uh, great talents in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the most wonderful experience, even at 79. And, um, I think I, when I bump into people who are older than I am at restaurants, you know, we immediately grab and hug each other and think about it. And it's a shame that there's not a roster of living remaining people with contacts and phone numbers or emails. Well, hopefully that's a piece of what we're doing here. Hopefully that uh, we're sort of putting together a directory so at least people who are still around can kind of figure out how to get in touch with each other. It's like it's, you know, when you're, you haven't talked to somebody in a long time and you call up or you want to call up, but you hesitate to call because if you ask for that person and the wife happens to say, that puts you in a precarious position. Certainly, certainly. Um, but yeah, so that's something we're certainly going to try to put together and then maintain and keep in touch with people to see now, when. Another name that I was friendly with uh, was Harvey Freed. Um, okay. I think he was a psychiatrist, older than myself, as well as Lenny Worth. So those are two names that you should write down and pursue. Okay. Uh, they have great stories because Lenny Worth and myself did take out a canoe and we went up the Wisconsin River to search out a satisfactory trip for some of the cabins. Mm. And I think I remember I was sitting in the, the bow of the boat and Lenny was steering it. And the Wisconsin River at certain narrow areas ended up steering into the bushes. And I remember a spider dropping down and I was terrified of spiders. Mm. And I almost jumped out of the boat. <laughs> um, my dad would always bring his boat across the lake without really calling up Al and saying, I'm coming to visit my son or I just want to come over. And he'd pull that boat up on, on the side of the pier and people would sit there and... and Sometimes they'd invite him for dinner and he'd have dinner. Hmm. Um, some of the other things were... Well, and at the time, I mean, that boat was the fastest and sharpest boat on that lake, for sure. Probably. And he was yeah. friends uh, with Mesero, uh, owned Mesero Insurance, which is a big company that most some of the Ojibwe guys might still work at. Okay. Um, and Mesero took the crisp, uh, he took it out, and he went over a rock and it sunk. 
and my dad and he were laughing. My dad didn't get mad. Um, and you can see camp directly from the, the bay from us. And then I used to, I got very friendly with the people on, on the, the second island. It's called mm. the Isle of B. Yes. Um, and the girl, that, they lived in Winnetka. And they had a ski jump right in front. Mm. And I used to, and she taught me, Babs, Babs Kent was her name, Barbara Kent, and taught me how to water ski. Hmm. And uh, once went over there, and if you go, somebody went over that jump at one time and caught their finger on the rope and pulled it off. Oof. Oof. But that lake is beautiful, and if you get it just at night, and when you're there, it can be glass. Yeah. And that's the time you want to get out and ski. Yeah. And now everybody slaloms, or my older son even barefoot skis, which I'm sure mm. there must be kids that will be able to do. Uh, we, I don't think we let the kids do it. We'll let them do one ski. We don't let them barefoot. I don't think. I think we stopped letting them do that. But um, there was certainly a big period of time with Steve Katz and Dave Gertz, I think, kind of brought that to camp right. in the 60s. And, and there was a big run where people did, but I don't, I don't think we uh, let the campers do it anymore. There was one counselor by the name of Perry London who was a very sound sleeper. Hmm. And I remember, I don't know who was with us, but we creeped into the cabin, and two of us got on the front end and two of us got on the back end, and we carried the, the bed out the cabin, over the campus, down to the waterfront, and we put it on two canoes and pushed it out. <laughs> Was, um, I was a, a big stickler for perfect shelves, okay. places in the shoes, and folded creases and, and edges on the, on the, I don't know if they do that now, and Ellen and I used to go make beds, and we'd have the quarter test where you'd oh, sure. a quarter, and if it bounced, you had a nice tight blanket over the bed. Wow. Been a lot of fun times with Ellen. Uh, I think that uh, we still grade the cabins. They're still inspected, but I don't think it's quite as stringent what as it once was. Is left out on the, the, the oh, absolutely. That's deduction of a point you for sure. Lose that whole week mm -hmm. I've I've been there and seen the week lost by half a point, and knowing that that was. The camp, the counselors now still able to hit left handed and hit the mess hall. Well, funny story. So, in 2001, we expanded the mess hall. It is rare that we have a counselor who can hit the mess hall at all. And I, I know from talking to guys that there were guys who could hit over the mess hall in their day. But, uh, what about that terrible water fountain in front of the rec hall? It had sulfur water that was the Oh, yeah, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> I think they might. <laughs> it's not the premier water fountain. but Now, did you have the water shack in your time? Did you have the no. building by Katie's house that has a – that's the best watering camp now. No, if it was there, we didn't know about it. Yeah. Just like we didn't know girls in town. Well, sure, sure. In the modern day, there's a small little um, building there, and it has an ice machine inside, and it has a, a water spigot well, on the outside, and it's much. the best. I mean, well, the ice I machine, certainly. But I can't imagine electric outlets in, in <laughs> I saw in one of the pictures the, uh, the hanging light yeah, and, I mean, and the radio, and I was like, oh, that's, that's obviously how you did it. This is my favorite time, my favorite picture. I just absolutely love the time. It just, and again, that was the time when we listened to music, and, and I'd go into town. And I would uh, buy a 
buy hamburgers for a lot of my favorites, like sure. George Sachs, which was oh. I got to you originally. George Sachs. And, and I would bring them hamburgers and with the grilled onions and then with the mushy bun, and you could just taste it now. It was delicious. Mm. And then when the radio signed off with the Star Spangled Banner, for whatever reason, I would wake up all the kids and make them stand at attention at their bed. <laughs> And for those listeners who are too young to understand that roughly about midnight, they would sign off the radio station for the night in the old days, just like they would with television, same sort of thing, and they'd play the... Sure, when television first came out, and you were too young, there was a, a, a sign, and we used to just stare at the sign on the round picture, it was a symbol of the station. Sure. <laughs> I'm a little, I, I am admittedly a little young for are that. Are nurses still good-looking Nurses or married nurses? So well, doctor, uh, I think, isn't there a doctor? George Sachs goes up. George and Karen, George and his wife Karen are there every summer. He is our uh, full-time medical director. Uh, we also still have camp doctors who, like in the old days, were connected to camp somehow. So they come up, and it's usually parents of a current camper, and they'll do one week each. Uh, I think Ned Zalek still does two weeks, but they do it in stretches. Um Oftentimes they'll have a wife, so there might be a, a doctor's wife around. On the rarest of occasions, there might be a daughter, but that's really pretty rare. Uh, and then our nurses are still nursing students, so they're twenty, early twenty-something college girls, and it's kind of a crapshoot. You never know. Is the water, uh, waterfront director building still on the waterfront. It is. Yes. With two waterfront or a couple beds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It used to be a very popular spot. Absolutely. I think it has become less of the, the take. One of our waterfront directors is married. Well, actually, I take that back. They're both married. Uh, one is in, one's from Belize, so he doesn't travel with his wife, but she, he is married. When is the song We're from Camp Ojibwa? Is that used throughout? Every Absolutely. Week? Every time we leave the rec hall, everyone sings it. We still sing it as soon as you, when the bus makes the turn into camp. As soon as they see the far field, they start singing. Powwows are still run three powwows a season. We only do two powwows now. Okay, kids still put on silence. Kids are still put on silence, but it's not. It's only for the powwow. It's not for the whole day or the not whole through, night or anything like that. Correct. Night. Even after the powwow, they're able to come back to the cabin and talk immediately. Yeah. Um, also, when you're chosen to be a brave, well, now there are uh, what do they call them? Neophytes. So well, they, the, were all, they were always neophytes. Okay. So, we had to wear the headband. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't do that. We've taken away a lot of the Native American imagery for obvious and, and obviously reasons. obviously not three days of being a neophyte, just one day and then Cor- you're brave? Uh, well, actually, it's a, it's a half a season of being a neophyte. So if it's the year you're going to be a brave, in the first powwow of the year, you're told you're a neophyte, and then the last powwow of the year, you become a brave is how they do it now. So it's if it's it, used as a marketing tool because all the young kids want to come back to camp every year and become a brave. Certainly, so they can take the brave trail and right, yeah, and get their town trip. Get, yeah, that's they don't do a town trip for the brave. No, everyone kind of gets they get chances to go to town because now they do honor cabin. So every week cabins are voted to be honor cabin, and those cabins get to go to town. And so it must be so modern today that there is no, no such thing as a town hike anymore. Oh, certainly not. Really. I was shocked when I heard about the town hike. The idea of, I mean, if I wanted... more fun. We'd have the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and we'd stop at the old schoolhouse. Oh, my gosh. It sounds amazing. I mean, if I wanted to march the whole camp just to Camp Maramita, which is one mile away on Mita Lake Road, I'd get nixed. So... Suppose you're going to tell me that these young campers now have these little automated cars that the parents send them to so they can drive. <laughs> no, we keep that. That's out. We, we haven't gone that far yet. 
<laughs> it's a whole new world at Camp Ojibwe. You must have heard stories continually about Sid Novak. Absolutely. The clamper. He was always called the clamper because he would pat your back like a clamp. And you'd know you were hit on the back. But <laughs> there wasn't a finer guy. And he had, I think Rozzy is the, one of the daughters. I mm -hmm. lost track of the daughters. He had two daughters. Rozzy and Ellen, yeah. I'd love to be able to communicate with them. I will make sure I get you I Ellen's like info before we leave. They don't know I'm alive. I yeah. Mean, when you get so old, you, know, you forget number one, and you, if you hear a name, you wonder if they're still here. Yeah. I want to ring their phone and say, I'm here. How are you? Absolutely. Ellen would love to talk to you. I'll make sure I give you her information before we leave. Yeah. And then Ellen Schwartz, of course, married Harvey. Mm-hmm. And they live right down the street from a great place for breakfast. From time to time. Mm -hmm. Not the guy that wrote that wonderful camp song. Alan Sherman. Alan did. Mm -hmm. Now he's long past. Right, but but they, they just had that song on today, but with different lyrics. And I said to Bonnie, I'm sure they don't have permission to play that. They oh, yeah, that I'm sure not. Yeah, he. Uh, we have a copy of the the original record. He actually thanks or he acknowledges Camp Ojibwe because it's the only camp he ever worked at. He was never a camper. And he worked for two years as a counselor at Ojibwe. And then he wrote the song 10 years later. I still have my warrior ring and my warrior jacket. Very nice. Still, uh, do you know what, can you tell me what the warrior jacket looks like? Red. Is it the red with red. the big logo? The big logo, yeah. Nice. Is that, uh, maybe I can... I've got two. I've got two of them. I just want to make sure it was the same. Uh, I've got two from a la from the later I guy. I have a, a jacket from the uh, Globetrotters because I transported the Ireland Globetrotters for years. Oh, wow. I have one of their original jackets. And I have another jacket. You would know the name. Ken Kesey. Oh, sure. Of course. Uh, Ken Kesey, because I was in the bus business, one morning I come to the office and I walk in the large garage and there's a bunch of these old hippies walking around my garage and I'm smelling and I go... <laughs> And Bonnie was working there at the time. She says, that's Ken Kesey's band. Now, I didn't know who it was, wow. but they were on the way to Cleveland. They had the, the psychedelic school bus yeah. parked in my garage overnight. And they were coming back to take it and drive it to Cleveland to put it in the museum. Wow. And so I had some special Keishan bus jackets made with a Keishan name and a bus. And, and he gave me a Ken Kesey jacket that was all colors. I got it in Cody hanging right now. Wow. That's very and we cool. Took pictures. Then he said, uh, you want to ride uptown? We're going up to Broadway and we've got a, a gig somewhere we're signing. And so I got in the bus and we're going down LaSalle Street and some of the streets in downtown Chicago. And they're blasting this hippie music. And everybody walking on the street is giving me the victory signs. <laughs> and I've got a photograph of the bus somewhere. And, and, uh, wow. It was a great experience. And That's now, very cool. Yeah. Anyway, so my summer years was 45 to 56, 11 wonderful years. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend it, and you should tell every young... I, I would love go marketing. I, but selling camp shouldn't be a hard deal, although it's a full year-round program to sell these parents. Yeah. You've got a lot of competition, but the price is pretty high. Mm -hmm. Six, seven, eight, I don't know. And, and I don't know of anybody, the, the baker they hired, the local baker, he was mm -hmm. wonderful. Otto. Otto. Yep. So I have no idea what your food... Oh, and, and Al used to bring in wonderful steaks on Saturday night. We have absolutely delicious steaks. Hmm. Is everybody happy, boys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody could run a camp like Al. And it was a, a tough thing for Mickey to take over because Al was one of a kind. Yeah. 
They threw away the mold for Al Schwartz. Yeah, that's what I hear. I never, unfortunately, never got Sitting to meet him, but he was a dynamic guy, happy, smiley, suntan, in shape. Hmm. Obviously, that's what would have lived to be, what, over 100? Yeah, I think he just got past 100 before. I mean, it's incredible. I don't know if you've seen um, on the website, the history site, I've got some... Uh, Barry Feldman had some video, some uh, 16 Barry millimeters. Barry Feldman's dad, I Monty. think. Monty. Mm-hmm. He was hysterical. Every time he came, he had crazy hats sitting at one of the round tables. That's him, Yeah. He brought a camera up and took video in the 30s, in the late 30s. So we've got some stuff of, like, Al pretty relatively young. I mean, you know, my age. (laughs) Now, how about Alvin Cohn, who Lee Cohn was his father? Alvin Cohn owned Continental Coffee. Okay. Owned a house on Catfish Lake. Lee Cohn, I have no idea. I'm sure he's around. He did own a home. He's in Phoenix. I just talked to him this week. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it would be great to get a roster together, even a little mini roster just to, to put on the internet to be able to pick up so if I wanted to call somebody because when yeah. you're my age and you have and I, I, I hate retirement with a passion I'm mm. probably one of the few people I mean I tell people now I have stress because I have no stress mm. I thrived on stress I thrived on problems I thrived on making a service that people would talk about and want yeah for sure and now now I'm in Sun City here is a um, there are 5,000 homes here Wow. In this gated community with 9,000 people. Wow. There are 200 clubs. There's a biking club, a hiking club, a mahjong club, a dance club, a square <laughs> club. You name it. You name it. Um, mm. And there was a Minnesota club. There is a Minnesota club. And he, four years ago, I said to my wife, no, because I heard the Minnesota club has a walleye dinner, one dinner a year. Mm. So I said to Bonnie, see if we can join the Minnesota club, so at least we can have walleye. I mean, how can you be up in Eagle River in the Northwoods and not have walleye? Right. Oh, so, Bonnie, Bonnie's Lakeside. So she called. She said, well, I'm not from uh, Minnesota. I'm from Menominee, Wisconsin. But by charter, they can't turn anybody down. Hmm. So we joined. And in less than a year, they made her president. And we've been, we've been, she's been president now for four years. Nice. But the walleye, and there's one, and, and we brought the they would bring 80 pounds of walleye in, Chris, and these little old people would bone it and cook it. And so my wife said, that's a, that's a tough act, and we better bring the fish dinner. So we've been having it out at a wonderful restaurant right out here on 111 called Shields. Mm. And they have walleye on the menu every night. Well, um, we're getting close to having to wrap up, but there's one question I like to sort of end with with everyone, and that's simply, you're a grown-up now. Um, you've had a long life. And I still like that saying, growing old is mandatory. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, you have had a long life. How did your time at Ojibwa affect that life? Oh, I think it absolutely became who I am. I mean, it, it taught me relationships. It taught me competition. It taught me how to take a loss mm. and, and, and not be the top guy around. And, but the friendship and camaraderie the memories, and, and certainly when you get old, you really have a lot of memories to call back on. Yeah. And uh, I'm just excited for you take stepping forward and taking this project. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. That's, that takes a, a lot of guts and a lot of uh, whatever you've got. I hope you found time for maybe a special girlfriend or something. Well, you know, I try to fit one in here and there. I try not to get too tied down anywhere. Yeah. 
Um, I'm 8,200 miles in because I'm taking a pretty loopy path. So I think it'll be about 15 when I finish the trip. Um, My grandson that I told you started this code HS, um, he must have found a piano listed in Craigslist. And he hired a U-Haul and he picked up the free piano and took it over to what they call Dolores Park. It must be some hippie park in San Francisco. Okay. But he also... Uh, bought a van and he covered it all in pink wrapping with code HS and he toured the entire United States leaving mm. going south coming up the north stopping and making appointments with every high school trying to sell coding oh that's great through the administration so I I would love to see someone at camp set up a little I mean there's nothing like going and having a little computer room and, and the kids yeah have, that's interesting I mean, it sounds like you're just depending on the on the phone itself and Mm-hmm. The last thing I remember, somebody sent me an internet video of a dinner table with all the kids sitting around, mm-hmm. the parents, and all the kids are on their iPhone. And all of a sudden, the next scene is there is the father sitting at the head of the table with a typewriter. Stunned him. <laughs> anyway, thank That's you very fun. much for taking the time. It's thank really you. Very nice, and I'm very impressed with what you're doing. Thank you very much. It was great to meet you. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Paul Keeshan, incredible storyteller. A long history both at camp and in Eagle River and going back all the way to his dad and his relationship with Al. Pretty fantastic stuff. I'll go ahead and apologize now. You may have heard a very aggressive bird who was trying to be part of this podcast and and he definitely succeeded. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbleHistory.org or just swing by the website, if you want to get your brick, and you should get them while you can, get them fast, get them first. Your brick, get that at CampoJibbleHistory.org as well. Just click on Walk of Fame. You'll find that there. It's a beautiful day at Campo Jibba. The weather could not possibly be better. It has been perfect for this 4th of July weekend. It's going to carry into tomorrow as well. As it is, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping. And a little bench down at the point is calling my name. Happy 4th.